0: The abortion plot s c cornell in the 19th century when a character had premarital sex you held your breath not for an abortion but for a wedding think of pride and prejudice where lydia's child marriage comes as a great relief the marriage plot relegates the actual having of children to the last page just after the rice is thrown and the reader assured that our heroine will be happy and rich If great Western literature of the time does allude to abortion, it does so subtly or with plausible deniability. The first time I read, War and Peace, I managed to miss the suggestion that Helene died of an overdose of abortifacient drugs. In Middlemarch, when Rosamond goes horseback riding against the explicit wishes of her doctor husband and subsequently miscarries, Eliot hastens to explain that this was a misfortune and that there were plenty of reasons why she should be tempted to resume her riding. Of course, plenty of non-fictional women in the nineteenth century were having abortions. In the US, at least, contraception was crude, childbirth was dangerous, food was expensive, and abortion before quickening, the moment when the fetuses first felt to move, was less legally controversial than it is now, though also apparently less likely to be named outright. Euphemisms included taking the trade and restoring the menses. American literature took a while to say the unsayable. Writing students today still learn about understatement from Ernest Hemingway's Hills Like White Elephants, a brief conversation between two lovers who refer only to an awfully simple operation that will let the air in. In 1917, Edith Wharton dipped a toe in the abortion plot with, Summer, a novel about a young woman named Charity who visits a money-hungry doctor for an abortion, the actual word is never said, before quickly deciding that it was impossible to tear asunder strands of life so interwoven. Keeping the fetus would typically doom charity to a life of poverty and prostitution, but, at the last minute, Wharton saves the day by marrying her off to her foster father. By the 1950s, abortion was not only named in literature, but debated at philosophical length. In Saul Bellows' The Adventures of Augie March, 1953, the question is whether or not life in general is worth living. You don't know how lucky you are, Augie's pregnant roommate imagines saying to her aborted fetus. What makes you think you would have liked it? In Richard Yates's Revolutionary Road, 1961, Frank Wheeler describes the moment that he persuades his wife, April, not to abort her first pregnancy as his life's greatest proof of manhood. But he is unable to convince her that she shouldn't abort her third. Don't moral and conventional really mean the same thing? April asks, a few weeks before she dies of an at-home abortion. Yates gives us April's calm preparations, her boiling of the syringe, her writing down of the hospital's phone number. But we are not privy to the ins and outs of the abortion itself, Yates draws a decorous curtain around the rest of the scene. In the following years, the literary taboo on putting a desexualized vagina on the page would weaken, notably with the portrayal of a diaphragm fitting in Mary McCarthy's The Group, 1963, and a tampon insertion in Doris Lessing's The Golden Notebook, 1962. McCarthy's scene, first published as the short story Dottie Makes an Honest Woman of Herself, is famous not only as literature but as sex education. In Goodbye, Columbus, Philip Rothsian protagonist explains that, though he's never before procured birth control, he has read Mary McCarthy. Cleaned Out, Any or not," S. 1974 fictionalization of her own illegal abortion points to the lack of an equivalent literary handbook for abortion, even as it is one. Denise, the well-read protagonist, has her feet against the wall with a tube deep inside her. Every hour she does scissor movements to bring on the abortion. Nothing she's read up to now seems to offer any guidance, there is supposed to be a prayer to suit every occasion, she laments. There should be one for a girl of twenty who's just had a backstreet abortion, what she thinks as she comes out, walks home, and throws herself onto her bed. That one I'd need over and over again. J. Annuary, by the Argentinian author Sara Gallardo, is just what Denise wanted to read, though the novel, which was originally published in 1958, never translated into French and appears only now in English, is unlikely to have reached or It was, however, influential in Latin America. Gallardo went on a book tour to Chile, Peru, Mexico, and Cuba. Argentinian feminists, who in 2020 won the right to legal abortion nationwide during the first 14 weeks of pregnancy — a slightly more restrictive line than the one at issue in — Dobbs still reference January as a turning point in the nation's consciousness. Gallardo, a writer of terrifying intelligence, wrote the book when she was in her early 20s. Our unlikely hero, Nefer, is a 16-year-old living under feudal conditions in rural Argentina. Dimly, she recalls being raped at her sister's wedding, having dolled herself up to impress Negro, a milkmonger who takes no notice of her, she was instead taken, crying, into the woods by a drunken older man. In Argentina, El Negro, pronounced with a short E, can be a friendly way to refer to a man with darker hair or skin. Now Nefer is stuck between the childish delusion that the pregnancy will somehow make Negro love and marry her and the desire to get rid of the thing growing inside her like a dark mushroom. Video from The New Yorker Deciding Vote, A Courageous Assemblyman Stand for Reproductive Rights HTTPS slash slash www.newyorker.com slash video slash watch slash The New Yorker documentary Deciding Vote, A Courageous Assemblyman Stand for Reproductive Rights Hashtag equals underscore cne interlude Yorker underscore underscore text vc The abortion plot frequently uses months or seasons to locate a pregnancy along a symbolic timeline of unwanted ripening. Consider Wharton's summer, or Yeats's April, or the protagonist of the movie Never Rarely Sometimes Always, who is 18 weeks along and named Autumn. Here, January, summer in the Southern Hemisphere represents Nefer's last chance to interrupt the seed's growth. Soon it will be harvest time, and there'll be no turning back. Nefer, who for most of the book is unable to remember the word abortion, nevertheless attempts to induce one several times. In the horse-centric culture of the Pampas, her first idea is to gallop hard. This failing, she sneaks out during the siesta to visit the local witch doctor but, once there, finds herself unable to ask for what she wants. People have told me that my characters don't fight for anything, that they are defined by inertia," Gallardo said in a 1977 interview with the Argentinian novelist Reina Roff. They just know that one can't fight against adversity or a broken heart. Gallardo herself was not so powerless. Born in 1931 in Buenos Aires into a storied lineage of intellectuals, her great-great-grandfather, Bartolomé Mitre was a president of Argentina, she spent much of her childhood surrounded by books. At 21, against the wishes of her father, she declared her intention to write for La Nacion, one of the country's leading newspapers. She married twice and had four children, including one who died very young. Motherhood was so important, she later said, that it made the arrival of the book seem like a plain fact. She died at 56, of an asthma attack, leaving behind a body of work that has recently enjoyed a revival in the Spanish-speaking world. Her fiction includes Los Galgos, Los Galgos, a novel of decadent love that has not yet been translated into English, and Land of Smoke, a collection of dystopian stories whose blasé violence and clipped lyricism are a clear influence on the contemporary Argentinian writer Samantha Schweblin. Among American writers, Gallardo has been compared to Lucia Berlin or Shirley Jackson, two writers whose work is also undergoing a posthumous re-evaluation. The details of Nefer's situation emerge through matter-of-fact narration, what is ordinary for Nefer, who has known nothing other than a life of milking cows, may raise eyebrows among upper-class readers. Nefer's household, a kindly father, a frightening mother, a beautiful sister, a hired hand, all use a single rag to wipe their hands and mouths at the table, they drink out of the same bottle. Jobs, medicine, and birthday presents are subject to the whims of the patrones, the wealthy landowners who drive cars, while the regular people ride horses. Gallardo's scorn for the paternalism of an economic system in which the rich control even the souls of the poor is understated but vicious. Thanks to the generosity of several kind souls from this fine town, a priest intones during his annual visit to marry, baptize, and hear confession, it is possible for you to fulfill the precepts of Our Holy Mother the Church, as prescribed by God. The priest's yearly visit is known as the mission, a word that in both English and Spanish might also refer to Nefer's frantic pursuit of an abortion. She is desperate to accomplish this task before going with her family to church. She believes that the assault has made her soul dirty and that an abortion will cleanse her. Because man is a pathetic creature, Gallardo writes, he cannot raise his knife and say, I can no longer endure this without saying, I can no longer endure myself. Gallardo's biblically graceful register is generally handled well by the English translators Francis Riddle and Maureen Shaughnessy. In the end, Nefer arrives at church still pregnant and gets through her confession without confessing anything. Afterward, amid the service, her thoughts wander to Negro. Perhaps if she had learned the piano, like the women playing now, he would marry her. But she knows she's no good at studying. Nefer is not terribly good at anything. Her blankness is one of several uncanny ways that January anticipates the modern-day abortion thriller, whose filmic examples include for months, three weeks and two days, set in Ceausescu's Romania, never rarely sometimes always, set in Trump's Pennsylvania, Lingue, the sacred bonds, set in modern-day Chad, and happening, set in mid-century France. These films open on a young, unmarried woman who already knows that she is pregnant and that she wants an abortion. Her problem, again, the actual word is rarely spoken, is not a moral one to be debated but a legal and logistical one to be overcome. Unfortunately, our ingenue is rather insipid and can't do the job alone. Happening, based on a memoir by the very brighter Nah, is the exception. The abortion-seeker's passivity may be a play for sympathy, it might also reflect, as Gallardo suggests in her interview with Roth, our individual powerlessness in the face of society, not to mention nature. The choice is interesting both for its feminist reappropriation of the damsel in distress trope, and for its refusal to ally itself with the conventions of the literature of sin, which tend to ease a reader's acceptance of a controversial act by making the protagonist charming and satisfyingly competent. Tom Ripley is so otherwise winsome that you have to keep reminding yourself not to root for his murders. When not preying on Dolores, Humbert Humbert is a poet and a wit. In contrast, the abortion thriller's Dull Every Woman suggests that a woman need not have great drive or talent in order to reasonably hope for something better than forced motherhood. The rules of the modern abortion thriller dictate that the hapless young woman will find help from a friend or female relation whose can-do attitude makes her the real hero of the film. As, Judith Levine argues in the Boston Review, this choice is meant to frame the pursuit of an abortion as a matter of solidarity, an act that fosters rather than destroys social bonds. In January, however, Nefer enjoys no such companionship. Her world is striking for its isolation, which only grows when her family learns of her pregnancy. Lonelier than ever, Nefer begins for the first time to feel tenderly toward her fetus, who is, after all, her only companion in a private world. But the feeling passes, soon she is once again hoping to be rid of it. The reader holds her breath. Diamond Suit